0: homily for the fifth Sunday of Lent, April 3rd, 2022, St. Mary's Church, Grand Forks. What does the word justice mean to you? If we were to survey everyone here, we'd get lots of different ideas. Theologically, justice is one of the cardinal virtues. The Catechism defines it as the constant and firm will to give their due to God and to one's neighbor. Some will view justice through the eyes of civil authority and how we make the guilty pay for what they have done wrong. Others are concerned primarily with public safety and reducing the harmful effects of drugs, violence, and gang activity, for example, in our communities. Still others think first about how to rehabilitate or treat convicts with dignity. Each of these is only one part of the equation. When all of the moving parts are working together in concert, the virtue of justice can be attained. We Americans also regard due process very highly. That is, when a crime is committed, we expect many steps to be carefully followed for the sake of the accused, the victims, and the citizenry at large. The goal is to arrive at the truth of the matter without manipulation or corruption, so that every person is equal before the law. At least we hope that is the prime motivating factor. Seldom has history provided a healthy prototype for criminal justice. For centuries, kings and queens could carry out their version of justice based on their own methods and biases without anyone being able to overrule them. These monarchs did not have to be wicked to act tyrannically and draw conclusions while being ignorant of the facts. What few people will tell you about the Church in the Middle Ages is that the various inquisitions in Europe sought out admissible evidence to substantiate any charges brought against someone. These courts served as a refuge for people, regardless of their guilt, protecting their rights in the face of subjective systems that cared more about persecuting enemies or carrying out vendettas than getting to the truth. I mention all this to set the stage for what Jesus taught us in today's Gospel. Can mercy and justice coexist, or does one disqualify the other? Did Jesus have to deny the sinfulness of the woman's offense to preclude her punishment? Did Jesus have to call for her death in order to affirm the sanctity of the marriage covenant? We can just imagine how the scene unfolded. What ought to have been a tranquil morning after a night spent in prayer on the Mount of Olives, as Jesus was visiting with people in the temple, suddenly became a maelstrom of noise and dust. The ringleaders thought they had tightened the noose so that there was no escape. Let's come up with a really thorny issue and put it squarely in Jesus of Nazareth's lap. He will have to make a choice one way or the other, and that will be his downfall. The trap they set for Jesus is this. If he resists the woman's execution the Pharisees would discredit him as an inferior rabbi for condoning such a serious sin. If he consents to stoning the woman, they would have grounds to charge him with illegally inciting others to kill her. But instead of being boxed in, Jesus could see from the start that something fishy is going on. The books of Leviticus and Deuteronomy both state that in a conviction of adultery, Both guilty parties are to be put to death. As the saying goes, this violation takes two to tango. Where is the man? Why had no one identified him? Also, there was no shortage of reputable judges in the country. Why all of a sudden did Jesus outrank them all? There also have to be two witnesses to make such an accusation. Who are the witnesses here? Was each one questioned separately? Is their testimony a matter of public record? How can anyone know that what they say happened really happened? It's quickly evident that the way this whole episode unfolded is a farce, an ambush that considers this woman only as a pawn. The mob tried to rush Jesus into a decision, but Jesus would not be rushed. Neither did he have a thirst for the appeal of such raw power to instantaneously decide whether someone lives or dies. He operated patiently and methodically in the hopes that the woman's accusers would think about what they were doing. The fact that Jesus paused right then instead of springing into action gives us an important example to follow. Consider how Jesus created a sacred space in the middle of such frenzied anger. Perhaps that's a skill we can nurture in our own lives, when it would be easier to act in haste, when it would be simpler to judge others, rather than walk with them in love toward transformation. Over the years, Christians have been very curious about what Jesus wrote as he bent down to the ground. Some commentators have speculated, and this does not apply literally in the, appear literally in the text, I only submit it for your consideration, that the Lord started writing the names of the main instigators. And when he crouched down the second time, the Pharisees feared that he would start to write down the most grievous sins on each man's soul. None of them wanted any part of being on trial themselves. We could almost hear the thud of stones dropping from the accuser's hands. Even though the crowd reluctantly disperses, we do not lose interest in the scene. On the contrary, the sight of Jesus and the woman together contains a burning intensity. We recognize that a day is coming when each of us must stand, as she stood then, as if there were no other people in the world. Just Jesus, just me. What do we see in her? Shame, yes, to be sure. But we also detect a sense of awe in this man, who by so few words and in such a composed demeanor quelled a near riot. Her eyes are devoid of any terror now, because the eyes that gaze upon her are radiating divine love. His look is not at all scornful, lustful, or objectifying. He looks at her with a warmth as for a sister, and with a stateliness as for a princess. What our Lord said to this woman, neither do I condemn you, bears some closer examination. The Greek word translated here as condemn has two meanings, either to pass a sentence against someone or to determine a person's guilt. What Jesus told her relates to the first meaning, in that he did not endorse the sentence of death that the mob brought against her. However, Jesus in his divinity knew the wrongs the woman had done and had applied a verdict. His decree was to forgive her and implore her to change. From now on, do not sin anymore. God's grace and mercy are not cheap, quite the opposite. They are costly because of what our Lord would do to obtain them for us. We can be assured that just as God opened a way in the sea for the enslaved Hebrews to flee Egypt, he opens a way for us to be liberated from whatever binds us. Just as Jesus freed the woman from the public stain of her sin, and liberated the crowd from their complicity in condemning her, he frees us from whatever could shame us, and whatever shame could define us. When St. Paul said in today's second reading that he desires to be conformed to the death of Jesus, he is daring us to accept the grace Jesus offers to us in his passion and death, to die to those things in us that might make us feel morally superior to others, those attitudes that ignore our own need for humility and God's mercy. There's another secondary theme that we find in today's readings. In the first reading, the prophet Isaiah announces that God is doing a new thing among his people, and that we are to perceive this. In the second reading, St. Paul mentions that he is striving not to cling to what has gone before, but to look forward and to press on to what lies ahead. This is a lesson for us. We cannot relive the past. We cannot change the things we have done wrong or the things that are wrong that others have done to us. We can only take the moment we have and go forward asking God to heal us and to guide us. Let's also imitate Jesus by creating in our lives some sacred space, some time to step back and breathe when we are angry or judgmental, some time to reach out for God's wisdom in the midst of chaos, some time to get on our knees and give thanks for second chances. For the disciple of Jesus Christ, Justice is not complete without mercy. Amen.